0: The House and Senate will return Monday and stay in session through Thursday. Then both houses will take a two-week Easter recess and won't return until Monday, April 17. Last week in the House, the House came back on Wednesday and voted to pass two bills under suspension of the rules. On Thursday, the House passed another bill under suspension. Then the House took up and passed a rule, then passed another bill under suspension. Then the House took up an attempt to override the President's veto of H.J. Res. 30 the Congressional Review Act resolution of disapproval regarding the new Biden Department of Labor rule on ESG investing. The veto override attempt failed by a vote of 219 to 200. Then the House took up H.R. 5, the Parents' Bill of Rights, and began considering amendments. Over the rest of Thursday and part of Friday, the House considered 10 amendments and agreed to two of them. Then the House voted on the bill as amended. The bill passed by a vote of 213 to 208, with five Republicans, Andy Biggs, Ken Buck, Matt Gates, Mike Lawler, and Matt Rosendale, crossing party lines to vote with 203 Democrats against the bill. Four Republicans and 10 Democrats didn't vote on the bill. If those 10 Democrats had been present to vote as the rest of their party had done against the bill, it would have gone down to defeat. Then the House passed another bill under suspension of the rules, and then they were done. This week in the House, the House will return Monday with the first vote set for 6.30 p.m. At that time, the House is scheduled to take up four bills under suspension of the rules. On Tuesday, and for the balance of the week, the House will be considering H.R. 1, the Lower Energy Costs Act. We'll talk more about that momentarily. Last week in the Senate, the Senate came back into session on Tuesday and voted to agree to the motion to proceed to S-316, a bill to repeal the authorization for the use of military force in Iraq. On Wednesday, the Senate voted to confirm the nomination of Gordon P. Gallagher to serve as District Judge in Colorado. And the Senate voted on and rejected two amendments to S316, the bill repealing the 1991 and 2002 AUMFs for Iraq. The Paul Amendment would have required a report on electromagnetic spectrum controlled by the Department of Defense. The Graham Amendment would have essentially kept the AUMF in place, but amended it to focus on Iranian-backed terrorist groups in Iraq. On Thursday, the Senate voted to reject three more amendments. The Lee Amendment would have instituted an automatic sunset after two years on future authorizations for the use of military force. The Rubio Amendment would have required a certification to Congress that Iran was not supporting terrorist organizations in Iraq. The Rish Amendment would have required a certification to Congress on the impacts of the termination of the AUMF on U.S. detention authorities and then they were done. This week in the Senate, the Senate will return Monday with the first vote set for 5.30 p.m. At that time, the Senate will proceed to a roll call vote on cloture on S-316, the bill repealing the authorization for the use of military force in Iraq. First and second degree amendments to the bill are due Monday, and they haven't yet been finalized. The Senate should finish up with the bill this week. Then, based on the majority leader's cloture filings, I anticipate we may see consideration of S-317, the so-called Reproductive Freedom for All Act, a bill its supporters claim would restore the previous legal framework that governed abortion access in the U.S. for almost 50 years after Roe v. Wade was decided. Now let's talk about that House Energy Package, the Lower Energy Costs Act. The bill's designation as H.R. 1 is the tip-off. This bill is the highest priority of the House Republican leadership. The bill is actually a compilation of several bills that came out of multiple committees. The Energy and Commerce Committee, the Natural Resources Committee, and the Transportation and Infrastructure Committee. The bill prohibits President Biden from banning hydraulic fracking, repeals all restrictions on the import and export of natural gas, including liquefied natural gas, Prevents liberal states from blocking interstate infrastructure projects. Repeals the $6 billion natural gas tax. Rolls back the $27 billion EPA slush fund. Disapproves of President Biden's canceling of the Keystone XL pipeline. Requires the Department of the Interior to resume lease sales on federal lands and waters. And reforms the permitting process established by the National Environmental Policy Act to streamline federal reviews for all sectors of the economy. This bill will not come to the floor under an open rule with anyone allowed to offer any amendment he or she wants. Instead, the Rules Committee will decide which of the 153 amendments will be allowed to receive an up or down vote. They call that a structured rule, and we'll know what it looks like as soon as they figure out which amendments they want to see. Now to Biden's signatures and vetoes. Republicans got two wins out of the Biden administration last week, and they both came on Monday. That day, Biden signed into law Missouri Republican Senator Josh Hawley's S319, a bill to require the Director of National Intelligence to declassify and release to the public information regarding the origins of the COVID-19 coronavirus. Sounds great, but not so fast. The key to Biden's signature on the new law was found in the last paragraph of his signing statement. Quote, in implementing this legislation, my administration will declassify and share as much of that information as possible, consistent with my constitutional authority to protect against the disclosure of information that would harm national security, end quote. So we're not sure exactly what to look forward to, but it will be interesting. That same day, Biden signed into law a measure overturning the action by the District of Columbia Council to revise the city's criminal code to reduce the penalties on some violent crimes. Biden took grief from progressive elements of his party for two reasons. A small group of criminal reform activists were upset that he had vetoed a criminal justice reform measure. A larger group of progressive activists who strongly support statehood for the District of Columbia were upset that Biden was denying home rule to the residents of the District of Columbia. On the other hand, also on Monday, Biden issued the first veto of his presidency. He vetoed H.J. Res. 30, the Congressional Review Act resolution of disapproval overturning the Biden Department of Labor's new rule allowing fund managers to take into account ESG factors when making investment decisions. And to make matters worse, Biden lied about it. He said he was vetoing the actions of the Congress because the bill, quote, would risk your retirement savings by making it illegal to consider risk factors MAGA House Republicans don't like, end quote. Of course, making it illegal to consider risk factors like environmental, social, and governance principles wouldn't make your investments riskier, it would make them safer. Now to bad Biden nominees, volume 32. Joe Biden keeps sending to the Senate rotten nominees, and Louisiana Republican Senator John Kennedy keeps embarrassing them. Last week's victim was Cato Cruz, a magistrate judge in Denver, who's been nominated to serve as a U.S. district judge in Colorado. Kennedy asked him if he could explain how how he would analyze a Brady motion, and Cruz admitted he was unfamiliar with the term. But then he further confirmed his ignorance when answering a follow-up question. He indicated that he thought it might have something to do with the Second Amendment. As an ignorant nominee, he likely took a stab at the Second Amendment as the subject of a Brady Motion because it sounded like it may have had something to do with the Brady Campaign to Prevent Gun Violence, or even the Gun Control Group's namesake, Jim Brady, who was President Reagan's Press Secretary when he was shot during the 1981 attempt on President Reagan's life. For the record, a Brady Motion is a defendant's request in a criminal case for the prosecution to turn over to the defense any potentially exculpatory evidence it may have. It has nothing whatsoever to do with the Second Amendment. Meanwhile, the nomination of Charnel Bielkengren, who was nominated by Biden to serve as a U.S. District Judge in Washington State, and who was similarly embarrassed by Senator Kennedy's revelation that she lacked a basic understanding of the Constitution, still awaits further action by the Senate Judiciary Committee. On Saturday, Transportation Secretary Pete Buttigieg confirmed the withdrawal of the nomination of Phil Washington to head the Federal Aviation Administration. Washington was another bad Biden nominee. Senate Commerce Committee ranking Republican Ted Cruz had worked very hard over a number of months to defeat this nominee. In Cruz's words, quote, Phil Washington is objectively indisputably unqualified to lead the FAA. For two decades, he worked at mass transit agencies, where he was in charge of buses and trains, not planes. The indisputable fact is that Mr. Washington has zero aviation experience, and in particular, zero aviation safety experience. Mr. Washington has never flown an airplane. He has never been a military pilot. He has never been a commercial airline pilot. He has never worked at an airline. He has never worked at an airline manufacturer. He has never served as an air traffic controller. He has never worked for a company that repairs airplanes. The only aviation experience that Mr. Washington has is limited for the past 20 months to working at the Denver airport as the CEO. However, in that job, his primary responsibility is to the physical plant there. It is the airport's shopping. It is its dining. It is its parking. It is its building. He doesn't have responsibility for aviation and aviation safety. Mr. Washington's confirmation hearing confirmed what is abundantly clear in his resume that he lacks any aviation experience. At his hearing, he was unable to answer basic aviation questions, including safety questions about aircraft certification, about pilot licensing, about airports. End quote. So much for Mr. Washington. Now, follow up on the Trump arrest. Contrary to what he said last weekend, former President Trump was not arrested last Tuesday, nor was he arrested Wednesday or Thursday or Friday or Saturday. Jenny Beth wrote a column about Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg's absurd and outrageous weaponization of government against Trump. You'll find it in the suggested reading. And that's our Washington Report for this week.